and people got so excited and worked up about it that you know there were people flinging off their shoes and spreading their cards out on the ground and you know people arguing and it was just awesome it was it was a really it's a very engaging game now this is property investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories mindset and strategies I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Amazon best-selling author, chartered accountant and founder of the Freedom Warrior program, Selena Kilkarni. We'll be discussing how she came up with a brilliant game she calls the Million Dollar Mixing Desk, how it's played and what it teaches its players and Kilkarni herself. I was recently invited as a guest to attend a Freedom Warrior event where we play the Kilkarni inspired game called Million Dollar Mixing Desk. It's been on my mind ever since. Kilkarni explains how the game works and how it came about. Full disclosure, um, it was a game that I created for my mastermind events that was actually a filler. Um, I had this idea that when people come back from lunch, they're a bit you know, sleepy and tired and I wanted to kind of create something that would be engaging. And so, yeah, I, I sort of, this this started out as an idea of how do I just bring people's energy up after lunch? And the first time we played the first reiteration of this game, people got so fired up and worked up about their worldview of what was the right way to invest that I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And so then, you know, over the last three years, I've progressively um, upgraded the game and made the deals more complex. And um, the simplicity of the game hasn't really changed, but well, the, con- the overarching concept. But um, as as the world works, people just started to to cheat where I hadn't um, expressly laid out rules. And so I was trying to plug plug those holes and. Um, yeah, the, the game is uh, has evolved into, you know, we call it Million Dollar Mixing Desk Game. Uh, and yeah, it's it's the, the, the crux of it is how do you bring a level of realism to investing and, and start to understand how the play of strategy can massively influence outcome? Um, so, you know, the theory of investing is all great, but this game is really designed to make people think rather than invest on autopilot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think as an investor myself, I kind of went into that mode until I started the game. I was thinking, hold on. <laughs> you know, you kind of have all these ideas and you know, if you've got a plan, there's a plan but sometimes life changes and you've got to adapt different strategies and that's what I love about this particular game, especially when you told me how the first time it was a filler <laughs> for a million dollars. I actually wouldn't mind you sharing how that one works because it's obviously changed and evolved from where it started. And um, yeah, you you mentioned that you guys just put up a, a thing for a million dollars and then they went at it. So how how did that evolve or how how did that start off? One of the things I I, I strongly believe is that there is no right or wrong when it comes to investing. I, I just think, um, you know, if you if you make a decision, everybody does it with the best information that they have at the time or preferences or who they've been exposed to or how they learn. So the idea was I wrote up six deals on a whiteboard 
three of them were local deals and three of them were international. And I said, right, you've got a million dollars, go, what are you going to do? And people just squirreled away and wrote down what they wrote down. And then everyone at the table had to share what, what they did. And we were a small, smaller group back then. And um, I couldn't get over how passionate and worked up people. I mean, I thought it would be everyone roughly coming up with the same combination of deals. And uh, everyone was so different. The way they thought, the way they spent the money, the outcomes they thought they'd get. And the way that we've always played the game is, you know, it's over a, a relatively short space of time, so a five-year block. Um, and then, you know, from there it evolved to, well, okay, I'll put up more deals. And then it evolved into, okay, now I'm going to layer that with, um, you know, some economic turbulence and then I'm going to layer that with some some uh, personal circumstance cards. And, you know, so it's it's evolved into a card game which is – not particularly complex, but the thing that's probably been the biggest jump in evolution is that instead of investing for yourself now, I get people to invest on behalf of um, a real-life case study. That's great. And and that was what really, really made it very, very interesting because you're not just only looking at it from yourself, but you're also looking at it from a real person who's actually going through a situation and, and, and this case study or this real person, this scenario that we ran over the weekend which would be sharing in this podcast was really, really interesting and it was to me, I looked and I went, hold on, this is pretty real, you know, there's, there's not much that's so different to most average Australians out there that are actually doing this but they want to actually get out of what I guess, you know, Rich Dad Porter says out of the rat race and that's what really, really fascinated me and what was really even better was we didn't do it ourselves because you know we teamed up in groups and because a lot of these people who I'd, I'd never met um, had different personalities, different investing backgrounds and so forth. It made the whole thing a really, really fun and interesting time and, and I really, really enjoyed it especially one of the team members I had was, I don't know how I put it but he was a real, real big character. The last time I ran a live mastermind and I'm hoping to get back to those later this year but... Uh, Feb last year, just before COVID hit, we had a live mastermind and I'd, I'd actually gone to the trouble of putting all the deal cards on beautiful cards and um, each team, I put people in teams of three, had a, a deck of, like a deck of deals and people got so excited and worked up about it that, you know, there were people flinging off their shoes and spreading their cards out on the ground and, you know, people arguing and it was just awesome it was it was a really it's a very engaging game now and um you know now because it you know I'm trying to make it you know more thinking and reflection and um less rote application of what you already know so when you're not investing for yourself you've actually got to take into consideration other people's risk profiles and perspectives so um yeah it's definitely a lot of fun and working in teams I think gives you that exposure to how do other people think about money? Um, how do other people think about investing? So, it's, yeah, it's a super fun game. Absolutely. So, let's delve into this scenario that we had and the reason why I wanted to share this one was because I thought it'd be so, so relevant for listeners out there to hear you know, something like this and then we work through it talking about it because there's so many ways you could actually help this uh, couple that we're going to be talking about but also too, it just opens up the the opportunity to see, okay, as we've been talking about alternative investings, how can we actually lay that into this kind of strategy that they're looking for? 
So maybe I'll pass it over back to you, Selena, on terms of actually explaining this particular couple and, and the I guess the scenario behind it. Yeah, so um, this particular couple are based on a real-life couple. Um, in the game, I called them Sergio and Lumi. Um, and I started by saying, look, the goal is to get them safely and quickly to the position where they hit their financial goals, which I called game over. Um, and I said that basically after COVID, after the shock, they're, they're super worn out. They had a consulting business that they'd had to shut down for three months and they're now back up to 70% capacity. They've done a little bit of investing. Um, they had a small portfolio of property, but they're ready to get serious. They've come to you for guidance on how to get to their goals and they need $250,000 a year before tax to support their lifestyle, excluding the property costs. And, you know, I, I kind of out, outlined their borrowing capacity, their savings ability, their earnings at the moment. Um, and then I put a, a bit of a limitation in here. I said they like alternative investments, but they don't want more than 50% of their portfolio in that market. Um, the commercial property that they own has a single tenant, but their lease expires in 14 months and they're not going to renew. Um, I talked about how in real terms, any sale would take 12 months to finalise, any residential sales would take six months to finalise. And I gave a theoretical business value of 750, but that it was a difficult business to sell. So they don't want to rely on that. And then I, I gave a, a list of the, uh, the five properties that they hold. And the instruction was, how do you get them given all of the deal flow that we've kind of, we had set up, how do you get them to that passive income of 250 in five years? And the way the game is played is round by round. So it's, you know, when you, when you first go into the game, it's like you see all these deals and you've actually got to decide what am I going to do first? And so you only fill out what you can complete in year one. And the interesting thing about this case study, because this is probably a bit more realistic, is that these guys had uh, four investment properties and uh, their home, but they didn't have a huge amount of cash. You know, they had um, some money in the bank, but most of their wealth was tied up in the properties that they had. And you can see when you start to look at these properties that some are doing well, some are not doing so well. Um, you, you can, you know, for me anyway, and this is probably my training as an accountant, I find that um, people can tell me their situation, but then when you see the numbers, it just paints such a, a different picture and, and gives such depth to someone's situation. So, you know, when I look at what these guys have achieved and the years, I mean, I, you know, I even told you how many years they'd held each property, you can start to see that they've been investing for about 15 years and, uh, you know, they've created a, a portfolio worth, you know, 33.7 mil and the net cash flow was about minus 8,000 in total. But you start to see, well, ooh, look at those properties, what's working, what's not. So, yeah, that's the overview of who they are. It was fantastic to be able to see that and, and that's the interesting thing. Um, I don't have the this sheet in front of me at the moment because I can't remember the exact properties but straight away when we received that within our team, we looked at the ones that we thought could we, which ones could we potentially sell down first that were generating negative cash flow? Because we kept wondering, you know, why, why should we keep this if we're trying to achieve a positive outcome to try and get $250,000 per year? 
it's going to really hinder us to have negative cash flow of $8,000 per year. Even though it doesn't sound like a huge amount on, on a portfolio of that size, it can also hinder what you can potentially invest into which is why it, it slowed you know, potentially them to do anything else. And that, that was what was really, really interesting because some people hold on to a portfolio because thinking there's still a lot of equity in there which I think this couple had like some like close to 3 mil of equity from memory. Is that correct? Yeah, 3.7 mil, yeah, including their home. That was a substantial amount of equity and we thought, how can we free that up to use at least to invest up to 50% of their total portfolio into potentially other investments which would generate them a positive cash flow and in a very short space of time, we all agreed and, and this was the team effort. We, it was all team effort that we had to agree, okay, what should we firstly sell off down or sell down? Or should we go back to the bank to try and refinance and try and get the equity out as quick as possible? And I think we all agreed that the first thing we do is just sell down the one that was generating a huge negative cash flow without what's thirty something thousand or forty thousand a year. <laughs> so I'm basing these on just what I remember for what we did, but that that really stuck in my mind. And that change makes you think in your own situation if you have negative cash flow properties, unless you, there's a reason why you need to hold on to these it actually might be a smarter option to actually sell it down if it's not positive cash flow because ultimately, you think to yourself, why are we actually holding all these properties? You know, Are we trying to hold these properties just to accumulate a huge amount of wealth? But once you've got that kind of wealth and that capital, I guess really at the end of the day for me anyway, I'm looking for passive income. I want income that can actually sustain my lifestyle. It's pointless if, if it keeps sucking money back out of my own lifestyle to be able to maintain it. And that, that's the, that was a big mind shift for me and I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners probably feel the same way too. So, it makes you reflect and think, okay, what can we do differently and change your strategy around and start formulating something different for the next five years? Coming up after the break, we hear more about the decisive game and its players. And there's probably about... I don't know how many, five or six different approaches that people took and everyone was passionate that their way was the right way. Um, no two teams did the same approach. How our views on the traditional ways of investing and real estate in general have changed in recent years. And I think traditional wisdom says accumulate properties forever and never sell. And I think that kind of worldview probably held merit up until maybe like I started to question it about 12 years ago. She shares her thoughts on alternative investments and how they can save you time and money if done right. Whereas since my pathway deviated into incorporating a small component of alternative, what, what blows me away and it continues to blow me away is that you can actually get a super meaningful result in less than five years. You know, depending on how how much headspace you give this, you could you get a great result in two years, in three years. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you one to two percent per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. 
Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a higher return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Kilkarni describes how the game ignites passion in its players and what she finds most interesting as she watches it unfold. I'll tell you what was what was fantastic about this game for me on the weekend was um, every team, there was probably about, I don't know how many, five or six different approaches that people took and everyone was passionate that their way was the right way. Um, no two teams did the same approach and um, you, you probably should mention that you were on the winning team. Um, so look, I, I think what's what's fascinating is that Different people will apply different tactics. The fact that they're, you know, investing for somebody else makes it more real because you do have to be responsible. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think there was all sorts of random things. I think there was one of the deals was a renovation deal. And um, I think one of the teams was talking about, well, let's do five of those a quarter. And you and I were kind of having a chuckle about, geez, like how hard would it be to find Prof, you know, profitable reno deals, five of them every quarter, let alone get the borrowings. So, um, yeah, I think more people are attached to reality than others, but <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a fun way of kind of looking at what are all the possible ways to skin the cat. Absolutely. And what was also fascinating as well too is we don't all consider and think about this and because I was very lucky I had an accountant in my group, he thought about the tax implications straight away. <laughs> Everyone completely ignore that part of part, side of things, and straight away it was like, no, everyone's out of the game because you forgot to pay your GST, your, your, your CGT. Oh, that was his argument. You're all in jail, so we win. But um, no, you guys actually won hands down anyway. But um, look, I think the thing to I think you've hit on a really good point. I think traditional wisdom says accumulate properties forever and never sell, and I think that kind of worldview probably held merit up until maybe like I started to question it about 12 years ago because I could see that if I just held on and waited for properties to go up enough in value and for the rents to go up in value, I was, I was still 25 years away from generating what I call meaningful income from it. So I started to really question that view. And so I think it's it's always a good idea to be you know, at least every 12 months looking at what have I got? Is it giving me what I want? Is Are we moving in the right direction? Yeah, it, it, and that's the, the conversations we've had already offline about a lot of this and this is why I love bringing you onto the podcast to share this because it makes you start to think, is it possible to do it a different way? And, and as we've said, there are so many different ways to skin a cat but we don't actually realize that if we don't hear about it or talk to someone else about it that might be thinking differently and this is why I love about your contrarian view, you actually will still continue to go down that same path of you know looking to just buy a property because in the back of my mind, I'm the same. I thought, oh, let's just go and buy say 10 properties over 10 years and hopefully generate a revenue of say you know 100K a year but that that theory, that thought and I'm, I'm being really, really um, contrarian here and plus on top of that, I'm, I'm talking from personal experience it doesn't, it's not going to work, you know, unfortunately in the markets that we're currently in at this point in time. Um, interest rates are completely different to how it was back 10, 20 years ago, you know, we're, we're at the cheapest rate at the moment, you know, under 2% and 
there are so many opportunities out there that can give you a higher return compared to say, you know, buying property that might generate five or six, even maybe sometimes 7% yield. And that's not even considering all the expenses that you still need to pay as well too. After that, it's hardly anything that's left. And then you're hoping and praying that you might get capital growth on these. And, you know, you do at times, but you don't know how long that's going to be. Whereas both Selena and myself, we've been looking at different alternative investments. And this is what I love about the game because you laid out for us many different options of alternate strategies. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that a lot of the alternate strategies that were available or the, the alternative um, investments were mostly either overseas, you know, in a really good capital growth, well, not capital growth, but um, uh, great interest returns with um, compound compared to say, for example, in Australia where we had um, fantastic deals still, but the return, the rate of return was very, very low. And it's realistic, you know, here, unless you're actually adding value some, through some kind of development or, you know, forcing appreciation on a lot of the properties, you probably will be sitting on something for, you know, next 10 years or so until it generates great capital growth. And that kind of opened up the strategies and, and thinking that we should probably change and put things into alternative strategies, which, you know, in my opinion, I've been doing the same thing as well as rather than put all my equity into buying another property, which I was planning to do next. I start looking at alternative strategies where I'm getting between say 20 to 30% return per annum and that has been very, very successful because I'm able to compound it much faster which allows me to be able to move on to buy other investments as well. There's so much gold in what you just said, Tyrone, but I think um, one of the challenges which I think we talked about in, in another podcast was I think the challenge for new investors is actually cutting through all the noise out there around what is the right way to build wealth. And, you know, I think if you're new to investing, one of the best things you can do is speak to as many people who have the results that you want and ask them how they got there. Um, you know, also consider that, you know, the, the markets are evolving. And, you know, 30 years ago in Australia, you know, it was a very, um, you know, it was green fields, like you could pretty much find opportunity everywhere. But these days, everyone's interested in being an investor so it's harder to find the deals where you create the alpha um, being like the the higher than average returns so that's one one thing and then the other thing is part of the reason that I started to look at other markets for the alternative stuff is not that the deal those strategies don't exist in Australia because they do but they're just so hard to come by um, like you've stumbled a across a, a really great strategy in the alternative space which um, offers killer returns and that's kind of not the norm, that's exceptional. But, yeah, in, in, the, in the States, for example, where the market is significantly more uh, flexible and creative than ours, it sounds scarier but in actual fact the risk on a lot of these strategies is actually very low and so... What I like about the States is that the deal flow for these kinds of alternative strategies is significantly more plentiful and because such a tiny fraction of their population are investors, the ease of finding deal flow where you can create that alpha is significantly easier. It's higher, much higher. I just we wouldn't mind having a discussion a little bit about the, I guess, investing into say for example the US market which you've been doing as well quite successfully. And a lot of the deals that we saw inside the game that we we're playing, we, we all mostly went for those kind of deals because they all were returning a higher return. 
and, and for good reason. And that's how it helped us get out of the actual rat race and achieve, you know, passive income 250. We actually exceeded that. And one, I do remember one other team did exceed it quite substantially as well too, um, doing some kind of renovation strategy, right? <laughs> yeah, questionable, yeah. <laughs> questionable. But no, it's all, all fair, you know, for what we all, all achieved and based on the assumptions that we have, based on what the market was doing, the economy and so forth, it, it wasn't really that hard like to be honest it was just a little bit of teamwork together putting our minds together you know luckily i did have an accountant who was very good at numbers but we we factored in if the market went down which it did you know by two percent our, our interest rates dropped there for two percent and we you know got less income but then because it was a five-year term we factored that in and we made sure that in say by the second year of of um yeah that the final uh, third of the fourth sorry, the fourth and the fifth year of our term, we actually compounded that and started paying down our investments, which increased our cash flow. And that also was a big, big takeaway for me because I kept thinking, you know, let's just keep building the capital, keep building the capital. But then he said, look, why don't we just pay down some of the debt, which will initially you know, increase our cash flow. And when that happened, it made me realize, oh yeah, you know, we're using alternative investments to start to build or pay down our portfolio which would generate additional cash. So, it makes you start to think outside of the square and outside the circle but until you actually see it on paper and you actually discuss it with someone else, it doesn't become very clear and that's where I kind of got stuck in along my property journey at this point in time going, wow, you know, it's actually possible to do it that way. So, that's that's been some amazing insights into what, what I learned just playing that game and it was only within what, a couple of hours. <laughs> It's funny. I've, um, you know, I've been a, a in the space of advisory and strategy around property for a long time now. And, you know, when you're looking at just local real estate, you have to play the long game. There's no question, and ev- most people understand that. Unless they're going to get into some hair raising type strategies or developments or renos or things like that. You know, you, your traditional buy and hold is a is a long play. And so, when I used to try and project for people you know, where will you be in 10, 20, 30 years if you stick to this course of action? That's a really, you know, that's a long way. I mean, it almost feels like another life. Like that's a long time to wait to get to where you want to go. Whereas since my pathway deviated into incorporating a small component of alternative what, what blows me away and it continues to blow me away is that you can actually get a super meaningful result in less than five years. You know, depending on how, how much headspace you give this, you, could, you get a great result in two years, in three years. And, you know, the sorts of returns, they're not, you know, they're not probably the 20 to 30% that you're used to, Tyrone, but they're, you know, if you can earn a net return of 8 to 12%, conservatively all day long in a consistent reliable way that is like that is life-changing for people that is what will give you the freedom to make decisions about how you spend your time and you know what you do with your life versus carrying you know a huge property portfolio that's just a drag you have to carry it for a while and and you hope that in 30 years it'll it'll carry you it's it's tough I absolutely agree and that's why I, I, I totally agree with you. Even if you just compounded or just receive residual income of say 10% on average every year, you know, say on a, a million dollar or two million dollar portfolio, if it's all been paid down, 
that's still you know the average say income that people want to expect when they get reached a retirement of 100k to 150k a year it's it's more than enough and and because you don't have to work for it. It gives you so much freedom to think about other things and that gives you one more time to be able to put more of the investments away. You might take a small proportion of that 100K and, and put it back into more investments and allow that to compound and you know that in turn will give you so much freedom and flexibility just to think about the things that you really, really want to do that can potentially be more impactful for not only your family but for other things that you want to do. You know, you might have dreams to do great work around the world, you know, go out and and save the world or you know give back and so forth so whatever it is that you want to achieve that's i guess the freedom that you need to consider to be able to allow you time to that because as you know all of us majority of us i guess are still in the workforce working every day to try and keep these assets you know upkept <laughs> in order to survive just to um round out the, the whole game thing the reason i called it the million dollar mixing desk game is because I really wanted people to understand that, you know, if you think about a music mixing desk and all the little buttons that you can use to adjust the the quality of the sound, I think we need to bring that same metaphor to our investing. You know, there's so many little levers that we can pull and adjust that we don't have to be singular in our approach to investing. We can really bring depth to it if we understand that there's lots of levers that we can pull. And so the game takes the theory away and makes it super practical. Thank you to Selena Kilkarni, our guest on this special episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.